Father, we just thank you that you've got something special for us tonight, the word of the Lord that builds our faith, encourages our hope, and Lord, gives us the wisdom to understand why we're here, what we're going to do, why you've placed us here, the future that you have for our church and all of us who are in it. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation of the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would impart to us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Amen. Well, like I've told you, this is not going to be for radio, so I can be a little more um, shoot the breeze. And, and I, I want to ask you, first of all, how many of you do not have a manual? Okay. I apologize. I know we ran out. I would have had, we're going to print more. We're going to print enough next time that we will not be without again. Okay. Oh, okay. So raise your hand. You better raise it quick and get one. These are valuable. Okay. And back there and there. Yay. All right. Now, how about pens? If you don't have a pen, you might as well go to the house. Because we're going to be writing tonight. Okay? Anybody? Need a pen? Okay, over here, back over there. Good. And then way over there, waving. Hello there, way over there. All right. God is good. And um, we're going through. What I have found is... A lot of people don't understand the real purpose of the local church or why they're in one. You ask somebody, um, what, why are you here? And they'll say, well, um, I like to watch Pastor Jeff sweat on Sunday mornings. Okay? Um, or I, I like a certain class. Uh, and nothing wrong with that. Or I like the music or whatever. I like the building or it's near my house. But why are we really here? I learned a long time ago there's a huge difference between knowing how to do a thing and knowing why you're doing that thing. You know, you can learn how to lay bricks, but if you understand your why of laying bricks, that you're building a beautiful house or a beautiful building for whatever purpose, then then you go beyond the how to the why. I've seen that he who only knows how almost always follows he who understands why. Now, when it comes to local church, we don't just need to know how to do local church, how to, you know, show up and sing and, and uh, partake of a service and say hello to a few people and then go home. But why? Why are we here? Why? Well, tonight we're going to look at what's called the TPC Statements, and this is going to share a lot of why we're here as a church, why we are here, why Turning Point is here, why. So let's look at the, it's on page 15, and let's look at the top, and there is a verse out of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, and let's read it. Let there be real harmony among you, so there won't be any split in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now there is a great cry for unity. So Our purpose statement, let me just tell you why we're here, why we exist as a church. 
The purpose of our church is summarized in a single sentence based on two key scriptures. And here it is, and I'm going to give you the the blanks and you fill in the blanks. But we believe a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment will grow a great church. And I'm going to say that again. We believe a great commitment to the great commission and the great the great commandment will grow a great church. Well, what is the great commandment? Well, it's in Matthew 22, 36. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. So that's the great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Now, that's the great commandment. Now, here's the great commission. We know this one better. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the great commission. And notice he didn't say, just go get them saved. He said, disciple them. Disciple them. We're going to define that in just a moment. So, we are to love God with all of our heart. And that's worship. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. That's ministry. We're to go and make disciples. That's evangelism. We're to baptize. And that is to incorporate into fellowship. And we are to teach them all things. That's discipleship. So we have their worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. And that's what we're all about here. That, that summarizes, encapsulates why Turning Point is here. Therefore, Turning Point Church exists. Here's why we're here. Here's our why. One, to celebrate God's presence. That's worship. Second, to demonstrate God's love. That's ministry. Third is to communicate God's word. That's evangelism. Fourth is to incorporate God's family, that's fellowship. And then fifth, to educate God's people, that's discipleship. Isn't that good stuff? So there we go. Worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship. We celebrate God's presence. We demonstrate God's love. We communicate God's word. We incorporate God's family. And we educate God's people. And anything out of those five, we don't do. Everything we do is within the parameters of those five things. Worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. So let's look at those five things one at a time. We exist to celebrate God's presence. That's what we just did in worship. We celebrated God's presence. Don't you love celebrating God's presence? Now let me ask a question here. Here's a loaded question. How many of you, if you were comfortable, would be just fine with, and it would be your DNA to come down here into the altar during worship and dance? I don't mean like in a club. Some of you look at me like, oh, my gosh, he's really going straight. I don't mean like in a club. You know, the charismatic shuffle. You know what I mean? No, no. How many of you w- would, would do that if you felt free? Amen. Really? Have I got that? Well, well, how come you don't? I mean, that's celebrating God's presence. You can celebrate any way you want to. I'm going to show you there's a lot of different ways. But here's the deal. Worship offers or adoration to God. Worship is how we offer adoration to God. It says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then 
it says, Jesus said, the Father seeks worshipers. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right? So Jesus talked about worship. The Bible, I mean, Lord, that's all the Psalms are about, is worship. Now, there's a lot of expressions of worship, different expressions. Singing is a type of worship that we, of course, do. Commitment, Romans 12, 1 and 2, calls committing yourself totally to God, your reasonable service. It's a form of worship. Praying is a type of worship. Hearing the word. I personally believe that we're worshiping God right now by coming into his presence to hear his word. Giving is for sure a form of worship. Have you ever thought about that? Then when you drop that check or that cash into the bucket as it goes by, you are worshiping God, a sacrifice of praise. Okay? Baptism. Meditation. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for sure a form of worship. Now, Turning Point's worship style is this. Celebration. Psalms 122, verse 1, that's uh, printed right there under celebration, is the verse that says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. All right? Because we're going to celebrate. And then inspiration. Isaiah 40, verse 31 is talking about renewing your strength. And we believe that worship literally renews strength. Amen? And then preparation, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. I believe that worship, listen, I, I can tell you as a preacher, good worship greases the skids for the word of God. It sets the table for the word of God. When we've had great worship before I preach, the preaching is easier, and I feel like I'm preaching under a, an open heaven. Okay. So turning points, worship style is celebration, inspiration, and preparation. So we exist to celebrate God's presence. Then second, we exist to demonstrate God's love and to incorporate God's people. Now the very word ministry is from a Greek word that means to serve. If I'm a minister, I'm a servant. That's what it means. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, Jesus said, that you have love for one another. You serve one another. The Bible says that we've all been given a gift, and with the gift that we've been given, we are to serve one another. That's ministry. The heartbeat of TPC is our life groups and connect groups, because those are the formats and the venues where you can really learn to serve one another. Every member is urged to be a part of one. If you haven't been to a life group, please go to a life group. Find out the life group nearest you and go, and, uh, or a connect group. We have lots of different groups that, that meet that are not officially in the life group category, but they are connect groups. We have so many ministries. One of the ministries is a little group of ladies meet every Tuesday, and they knit prayer shawls. They knit these beautiful shawls that you would see. I mean, these are store material. They're really well done. And what they do is they knit them for people who are to be taken to people who are sick. I have taken several of those prayer shawls to people who are terminal. And they, they write on these shawls, on, on a little piece of paper on the, that is attached to the shawl itself and to the, the container the shawl comes in, promise verses. And just a couple of weeks ago, I left church and went to a house in Burleson where a man is terminal. 
and I took him a shawl, and I, and I opened it up, and I covered him with it, and his family was there, and, and, and they wept, and he said through very weak lips, thank you, and there was a ministry there, and, and I bet you didn't even know that happens, and now they have been asked to knit little hats for children at uh, Cook's who are fighting cancer. And we're going to take these little hats and put them on their little heads because they're going through chemo and they don't have any hair. We're just going to put that, put those hats on them. And that's a ministry. That's a ministry. That, that's, that's a ministry. That's serving one another. Now, God gives us many kinds of special abilities. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 5 and verse 27. God gives us many kinds of special abilities. And there are different kinds of service to God. Ministry. All of you together form the one body of Christ, and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, you're necessary? Now turn to the other side and say, you are too. Now I'm going to look at all of you and say, you are totally necessary. You're a necessary part of this body. I can't do this without you. Last Sunday, I stood up in all three services and said, I cannot do, I could never do this church without all the volunteers and all of the support staff, everybody who helps us. It is a huge team effort. And so everybody is necessary, wanted, and needed. Everybody. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're educated or not. I don't care what your financial status is. God has gifted you, and I need, and we need your gift. Amen? So at Turning Point Church, every member is a minister. Every task is important. And every member is a 10 in some area. Now, I bet it's been a long time since somebody told you you were a 10, so I want to do it again. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a 10. Now turn to the other side and say, you really are a 10. No flirting or anything. I'm just telling you, go tell everybody. Just say, you're, you're a 10. Because the way we see everybody who comes to this church and plugs into Turning Point and makes this their church home, you are a minister. And you are important. And you are necessary. And you are a 10 in some area. So, we exist to celebrate God's presence. And second, we exist to demonstrate God's love and incorporate God's people. Third, we exist to communicate God's word. Evangelism, you know what evangelism is, but it's simply leading others to faith in Christ. Now, there are official, professional evangelists, those whose bread and butter and their whole life is given to uh, evangelizing. They, are, they have the office of evangelists. But every believer is to evangelize. Every believer is to witness. I was listening to this guy on the radio on my way here tonight. Wickwire or something like that. And he, he was giving his testimony. And I was giving my testimony how I got saved in, in radio, uh, on the radio. And I was sharing out how after church one time, just a while back, these two ladies come up to me. And one of them said, I came all the way to tell you that you used to be my drug dealer. And then I heard you on the radio. And I said, that can't be him. And she looked up the webpage, and lo and behold, it was me. So she came all the way from Plano to tell me, you used to push drugs to me, now you've been pushing Jesus. 
Okay, seriously. I heard that on the way here. And she's Jewish too. Now she's a completed Jew. And the lady that she brought with her came to Christ that night. So God is good. Now Ephesians 3.10 says his intent, God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And then Romans 10, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But who can ask them to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells him? And the telling is my calling and your calling. I witness when I'm not in church. I tell people about Jesus when I'm not in church. I talk about Jesus when I'm not here at all. When I'm in restaurants and stuff, I talk about Jesus. We all should do that. So let me tell you, in light of that, why our church must never stop growing. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, you ought not be numbers conscious. Now, what is all this number stuff and growing and all that? We ought to be growing. And, and God does care about numbers. We know for a fact how many got saved on the day of Pentecost. Somebody counted because we were told 3,000 got saved. Somebody counted. We know that later on they had another great harvest and 5,000 got saved. Somebody counted. We're told that Jesus fed the multitudes and there were 5,000 of them. Somebody counted. And there's a little book in the Bible called Numbers. Right? So let me tell you why our church must never stop growing. Because one, God loves people. God loves people. It says the Lord's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. Second, we must never stop growing because he commands us to reach out. Jesus said in Luke 14, go out into the country and urge anyone you find to come in so that my house will be half full, partly full. What does it say? My house will be, say it, full. Acts 1.8, Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses. So he commands us to reach out. We should never stop growing, number three, because it's God's will. Under Christ's control, the Bible says, the whole body is nourished and grows as God wants it to grow. Colossians 2.19. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will tear it down. He said, I will build it. It will grow. It will be an ongoing building project. Here's some unbiblical excuses for not growing. Well, God's not interested in numbers. Well, I just showed you that he is. Because every new person is a new soul. Here's another excuse. Our church wants quality, not quantity. Let me give you some news. If you have quality, you will have quantity. I, I double dog dare you to get quality and try to keep the quantity from coming. Okay? Or here's another one. Large churches are impersonal. No, no. As a matter of fact, let me show you. We believe our church must grow larger and smaller at the same time. So, well, how do we do that, Pastor Jeff? Well, here's how. We should grow larger in numbers but smaller by providing opportunities for a relationship. Like life groups, connect groups, our church members getting together to fellowship, do things together, get to know one another. I personally believe that when God gives you a local church, he just gave you a family. And in giving you a family, he gave you relationships. Nobody is called by God to be an island that you can't touch. Or they can't touch others. 
We're, we're to fellowship with one another. We're to one another, one another. Amen? Matthew 24, 14, and the good news of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we must never stop growing because God loves people. He commands us to reach out, and it is God's will. And even though you grow larger, you can grow smaller at the very same time. Fourth, we exist to educate God's people. Now that's discipleship. And discipleship is simply defined as this. Learning accompanied by action. Learning accompanied by action. You remember when Jesus um, turned to 70 of those who were following him, and it says he gave them authority to to go cast out devils and heal the sick. And they went out and they did it. Now they did it after they had been with him for quite some time. So they watched what he was doing. And then... And so they, they learn, well, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, Jesus, you know, does good things for people. And then he said, all right, you've, you've learned it, now go do it. Discipleship is learning accompanied by doing. It says, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. It says, grow in grace, said Peter, and, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow, go on to maturity, grow in grace. How does this happen? Well, God has given the Son to be pastors and teachers to prepare for God's people for works of ministry so the body of Christ may be built up until we all become mature like Christ. God has put me here, for instance, to equip you to do the work of ministry. That's why I'm so thrilled. I'm serious. When I went into the fellowship hall last week and they had those new those new um, things on the walls that, that show what our ministries are, those new displays. And I saw all the ministries in this church, ministries I didn't even know about. I'm the pastor. I didn't even know about them. Because our church has grown legs and it's running on its own. In a good way. In a good way. So many of our people are involved in ministry now, and that's what I've been called to do. To train you, to equip you to do the work of ministry. Now, Let's talk about our statement of faith. And I thought about just telling you to read it on your own. Then I read it and I thought, no, I'm going to go through it real quickly. So here's our statement of faith. Here's what we believe. And I want you to say with me, it matters what you believe. I'm a little bit, um, not distressed, but but I'm concerned at how you find so often in in, in the body of Christ, now in the church, where people don't seem to care about theology. They don't seem to care about doctrine. They don't seem to care about teaching or truth or what the Bible says about a thing. And another thing that concerns me is where experience is placed above truth. See, all experience should be able to relate to a Bible truth. And if it can't relate to a Bible truth, it's an experience you don't need to be having. And I'm talking about spiritual things now. It matters what you believe, because what you believe is what you believe about God. So let's look at what we believe. In essentials, in essential beliefs, we have unity. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. So in essential beliefs, we have unity. In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. 
It says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So like, here's the difference between an essential and a non-essential belief. Essential is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin and nothing else will wash away your sin. That's essential. We can't negotiate on that one. Amen? Amen. Amen. Or that Christ was the Son of God. That's non-negotiable. That's an essential. So on essentials, we must have unity. But a non-essential is if you want to dye your hair purple, cool. I don't care. Come on. If you want to have communion with your family in your home every day, I don't care. That's a non-essential. Are you there? Uh, um, so in non-essentials, we have liberty. We have all kinds of people that come into this building every week from every walk of life, a huge mix uh, of the culture. And that's wonderful. That's what heaven's going to look like. Okay. So in non-essentials, there's many things that, you know, it may be good for you. It's not good for me. It may be good for me. Not good for you. Uh, you're free. That's fine. But with the essentials, we need to agree. Now, in all of our beliefs, we show charity. Paul says, if I hold in my mind not only all human knowledge, but also the very secrets of God, and I have the faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I have nothing at all. I amount to nothing at all. So in all our beliefs, we have charity. For instance, I believe the gifts of the Spirit are valid for today. I do. I believe God heals. I believe that God delivers. I believe in a prayer language. Now, I don't make it front burner. I don't push it because I don't see in the New Testament that that was a front burner doctrine. But I believe the gifts of the Spirit are real. But now, I can sit down with somebody who doesn't believe that and eat with them and fellowship with them and go fishing with them and have a good time with them because we can come together on who the person of Christ is. So I can show love to them even though they don't believe about, like I do, about the gifts. And I hope they can love me because I do believe in the gifts as being valid for today. All right? Now, here's the essentials we believe about God. God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He's eternally existed in three personalities, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal, and they are one God. We put all those verses down below so that you can go look them up yourself. Here's what we believe about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is co-equal with the Father. Jesus lived a sinless human life and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. He arose from the dead after three days to demonstrate his power over sin and death. He ascended to heaven's glory and will return again someday to earth to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And that's my Jesus. All right. And and that's an essential. That's an essential. What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is also co-equal with the Father and the Son of God. He is present in the world to make men aware of their need for Jesus Christ. He also lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation. He provides the Christian with power for living, understanding of spiritual truth, and guidance in doing what is right. How many of you can say the Holy Ghost dealt with me today? Amen? Amen? And he, he gives every believer a spiritual gift when they are saved. As Christians, we seek to live under his control daily, and that's what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Here's what we believe about the Bible. 
The Bible is God's word to us. It is written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is the truth without any mixture of error. You hold in your hand the irrefutable, undeniable, inerrant word of the living God. Amen? Here's what we believe about human beings. People are made in the spiritual image of God to be like him in character. People are the supreme object of God's creation. Although every person has tremendous potential for good, all of us are marred by an attitude of disobedience toward God called sin. We were all born sinners. I was born in sin, said David, and shaped by iniquity. This attitude separates people from God and causes many problems in life. So that's human beings. That's what the Bible says about human beings. Now here's salvation. What do we believe about salvation? Salvation is God's free gift to us, but we must accept it. We can never make up for our sin by self-improvement or good works. Only by trusting in Jesus Christ as God's offer of forgiveness can anyone be saved from sin's penalty. We, when we turn our, our, from our self-ruled life and turn to Jesus in faith, we are saved. Eternal life begins the moment one receives Christ into his life by faith. Now, number seven, what do we believe about eternal security? Because God gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ, the true believer is secure in that salvation for eternity. I had to land there. In studying that for years, I had to land there. Because how do you get unsaved? How do you get unborn again? Okay? If you've been genuinely saved, you cannot lose it. Now, if you disagree with me, love me anyway. But look what, I, look what it goes on. Salvation is maintained. Here's where I really had to land. Salvation is maintained by the grace and power of God. If I'm saved by grace, how is it that then I have to maintain it by my own works? If I'm saved by grace, I'm kept by grace. Saving faith is staying faith. Faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. Salvation is maintained by the grace and power of God, not by the self-effort of the Christian. It's the grace and keeping power of God that gives us this security. If I thought that I could go do something, I don't know, people that say to me, I think you can lose it, I say to them, well, tell me then, what could you go do tonight and lose it? Tell me, I want to know, what could you go do to to lose it? Well, I don't know, but I I think I could. Well, well, tell me, would it be drugs, uh, immorality, uh, you know, going into a bar and getting smashed? What, what, What would you have to do to lose it? Well, I don't know. I just think you can. Let me tell you, God doesn't disown his children, but he will chasten his children. And he'll take you into a woodshed. And God knows how to whoop you where you never forget it. So pray about what I just read and let's move on. What do we believe about eternity? People were created to exist forever. We will either exist eternally separated from God by sin or eternally with God through forgiveness and salvation. To be eternally separated from God is hell. To be eternally in union with him is eternal life. And we believe that heaven and hell are real places of eternal existence where you consciously live in one or the other 
forever. Now our lifestyle statement. Here's what we practice. Beliefs are not worth much unless they're translated into actions. Based on what the Bible teaches, we feel strongly about the following seven practices. One, the Bible is the sole authority. It's our sole authority. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration of God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. So since it's the only completely reliable and truthful authority, we accept the Bible as our manual for living. Second, the autonomy of each local church. Christ is the head of his body, the church. He is the source of the body's life. Christ is the recognized head of our church. Not Jeff Wickwar. I'm not the head of this church. I'm the head elder. I'm the senior pastor, but I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is. And I remind him of that all the time. Okay? While recognizing the value of associating and cooperating with other groups of Christians, we believe every local church should be self-governing and independent from any denominational control. I have no desire to control any other church, and I don't want any other church to try to control me. However, I do believe in accountability. And I have people in my life that I'm accountable to. And our church fellowships with a church organization, Church on the Rock International. And we're accountable. We're not out here on our own. We're accountable. And there's men in my life who could walk into my life and say, what in the world are you teaching lately? And I could do the same with them. Because I don't believe in being a lone ranger. Although I do believe in local church autonomy. Okay? We encourage every congregation to determine its own strategy and structure and style. Because every church has its own flavor, its own strengths and weaknesses. Now the priesthood of every believer, Christ loves us and by his death he's freed us from our sins and made us a kingdom of priests to serve God. You're a priest. Did you know that? You are, says 1 Peter 2.9, you are the king's priests, God's own people, chosen to proclaim the wonderful acts of God. What does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifices to God, and a priest ministers to others. So you're a priest. You offer the sacrifice of praise, and you minister to others. So you're a priest. The Bible teaches that every Christian is called to full-time Christian service, regardless of your vocation. We practice the truth that every believer is a minister by encouraging every member to find a place of service and ministry. Now let's talk about tithing. A tithe of everything you produce belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. That's Leviticus 27, verse 30. At Turning Point Church, we practice tithing for the support of Christ's body, the church, as God's command, or as God commands. We recognize that giving 10% of our income is the biblical standard of giving. But I want to add an addendum to this. We don't believe you will be cursed by God if you don't. Now, Many of you have heard it taught, and it's out of Malachi chapter 3, that you have robbed God, therefore you are cursed with a curse. And they said, wherewith have we robbed you, Lord? And he said, in tithes and offerings, therefore you are cursed with a curse. Now, there are people who take that and they bring it into New Testament living and they say, if you don't tithe, then you're going to be cursed by God with a curse. There's only one problem with that. That's nowhere in the New Testament. And I don't live in the Old Testament. 
Oh, y'all are quiet on that one. Now, do I believe in giving you the Lord's work? I've always tithed. When I had nothing, we tithed. When we were on cream of wheat every night, we tithed. But, but do I believe if, if I didn't do it, that I would come under a curse? No. But here's what would happen. I would lose a blessing. I would lose a blessing. But I don't believe, I don't, I, listen, I don't find anywhere in the New Testament where it says I'm cursed. Here's a little rule for Bible study. If you want to know if something that was in the Old Testament is valid for us now, then you will find it repeated in the New Testament, either in the Gospels or in the letters. Are you following me? So that people have said to me, well, I hate to go here, but I'm going to say it. Um, Only because it's become such an issue, but the homosexual issue. When I have preached on it or taught on it, which I rarely do, But when I have, I've had people come up to me and say, that's just all Old Testament. Well, hang on. No, it's not. Because it's repeated in the New Testament many times. But then there was another law. They were not to make garments out of mixed uh, threads. In other words, out of silk or nylon. They weren't to mix the different kinds of thread. Well, I don't see in the New Testament, thou shalt not mix your threads. It's, it's not valid anymore. Amen. It's not carried over in the New Testament. Amen. Amen. So we have to be careful with the Old Testament that though, yes, like the Ten Commandments are totally valid in that, that Jesus fulfilled them. And because of Jesus, God has declared me righteous as if I lived every one of them perfectly. Amen. But when it comes to things that people want to lay on you legalistically, you need to look and see, well, Yeah, it's in the Old Testament, but was it carried over? Do I find the same thing in the New Testament? And if I don't, it's not valid. Come on, everybody. So do I see tithing in the New Testament? Jesus mentioned it. I think it's in Matthew 10.10. I think that's the verse. He mentions it, but nowhere does it say you're going to be cursed. I know I've spent a lot of time on this, but... I feel badly that some people have been told that. And so they're walking around going, uh-oh, well, uh, wow, I didn't tithe for a couple of months, and so I just had a car wreck. That must be part of God's curse. No. But if you don't tithe, if you don't give to God's work, you lose out on a great blessing. I'm sorry, I'm not going to lay something on you the Bible doesn't. Okay, some of you are really chewing on that one. We could go home now, couldn't we? No, let's go on. You know what we teach about baptism, immersion. We did that last time. Daily time with God. We encourage you to have a daily time with God. That's our lifestyle at Turning Point. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We believe the only way possible to live the Christian life is by God's power within us. So we seek to practice a daily Dependence on God's spirit to enable us to do what is right, even when you're on vacation. There is no vacation from God. Matter of fact, your vacation will go better if you get with God. Out there floating on your inner tube or on your raft. Just think, did I get with God this morning? Because he'll bless your vacation. All right, now, telling others about Christ. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
It's the responsibility of every Christian to share the good news with those God brings us into contact with. All right, now let's go to page 22. That's our lifestyle statement. Please go back and read over this yourself. This is your manual now. Let's look at the TPC strategy. Paul said, I have been all things to all sorts of people that by every possible means I might win some to God. I do all of this for the sake of the good news. So Paul says, I try to find common ground with people so that I can open up the topic of the gospel. Amen? I'll tell you a quick story. My first pastor, it was East Texas. And I mean, I was in East Texas, Quitman. I dare you to go try to find it, Quitman. And in Quitman, uh, we went from city, I was raised in the city, concrete jungle, and we moved to the country buddy, where all that there was to do, if you didn't know how to play dominoes, you had nothing to do. And, and when we got there, Kathy and I were in shock because there wasn't even a restaurant. We didn't realize that. We said, let's go eat. Well, what is there? All there was was a Dairy Queen in the town. That was it. And so I was a city boy ministering to country people. And I realized after about a year that they, they, they liked to hear me preach, but they didn't know what to say to me when I came down off the pulpit. <laughs> I just heard some of you, well, I don't either. Now, listen. Now, listen. So, so I thought, what am I going to do? Because I've got to bridge the gap. So you know what I did? I noticed that after every Sunday, after every church service, there would be a group of guys in the back of the church talking about the latest fish they caught or the latest deer they shot. Well, I'm not going to go shoot deer. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. But I thought, I'm going to have to learn how to fish because I'm going to get common ground. So I went and bought a bass boat, a real sparkly, glittery bass boat. And I got all the gear. And I said, Jesus, help me. And I could see Jesus dispatching extra angels as I got on the lake. Because I had a depth finder. And, and, and so I, I knew a little bit. But this is my first venture into fishing. But I said, Lord, give me a story. I've got I to gotta have common ground with them. So I went out on Lake Fork all by myself. And I went out to this little place. And I, my depth finder was showing me that it was kind of deep. And there was some structure under there. I said, okay, here goes. So I put on a plastic worm. I threw it out. First cast. God knows this is true. First cast, and I'm walking it along the bottom. And wah! And my rod went, and I started screaming. I said, my Lord, I've got a fish. I've got a fish. Well, my voice, you know my voice. And these people that I knew uh, that lived on the shore heard me and thought something was real wrong. So they got a boat, and they were headed out to me to save me because they thought that I was drowning. But what it was, was I pulled in, at first cast, an eight-pound black bass. I mean, I walked in that Sunday. And I waited for their little gathering in the back. And I said, hey, guys, hey, Pastor, what's going on? I said, I just want to let you know I caught me a fish. I went fishing last week. Yeah, yeah. Really? What'd you get? Well, see, the second cast with the same worm, I'm telling you, God knows it's true. His favor was with me because this never happened to me again. I pulled in a six pounder. So I had an eight and a six in the live well, wah, 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 splashing around. So I told them and my cred went from here to here. 
And they later said, what'd you catch this week, Pastor? And I said, oh yeah, a few, few bass, few, you know, I went and caught some bass. And, and it built a bridge. Okay. I have been all things to all sorts of people, including a fisherman, that by every possible means I might win some to God. Now look who we're trying to reach, the circles of commitment. Community is the outside. We had a bunch of those on Easter. All right? The community. They are unchurched or they are backslidden. They are not in church. That's who we're trying to reach. You know some of these. Your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, maybe some folks in your family. The community. They are totally unchurched. Amen. We want to get them and bring them into the crowd. That's regular church attenders. We want to get them out of not having anything to do with church or God and bring them into listening to the word weekly. But then we want to pull them in closer to congregation. And that means they're godly and they're growing. Okay? But then we want to bring them in even fuller and closer to committed. And that means they're mature and they're serving. You know what I see when I look at you? I see the committed. Mature and serving. But then we want to get them to the core. And that's when they are lay ministers and they are mature leadership. So this person that used to be way out there on church, we've reeled them in like you do a fish. We've reeled them in. Jesus told Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And we reel them in from community to crowd to congregation to committed to core. So I want you to always be aware that if you know somebody that's not in church at all, we have a name for them, community. And it could be that God is anointing you to say something to them and invite them to be a part of the crowd. And then maybe play a part in helping them come closer as congregation and then even closer as committed. And wouldn't it be neat if somebody that used to be totally out there, you played a part in getting them all the way to the core where they are lay ministers and mature leadership. Amen? How many of you used to be the community? Come on. Of course, you all did. Some of you don't know what I'm saying because all of you used to be community. Me too. Now... Turning Point Church's objective is to keep moving people toward the center by encouraging personal spiritual commitments. Specifically, we call people to four basic commitments. And here they are. The first membership or the first covenant we ask people to enter into is the membership covenant. This is the commitment to Christ and the church. The membership covenant is the commitment to Christ and the church. Ephesians 2.19, you are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Where do we belong? In God's household. With who? Every other Christian. So God wants every Christian to have a church home. The maturity covenant is the next one. And that is a commitment to the habits necessary for spiritual growth. It says continue to grow, continue to grow, never stop growing, continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So the maturity covenant is I'm going to commit to the habits that are going to get me there. Daily time with God, we're going to go over all that later. I love this one, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Take the time and the trouble to take care of your spiritual life and become fit spiritually. Third, the ministry covenant. That's a commitment to discovering and using my God-given gifts and abilities in serving God and others. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. All right? So we have the membership covenant, the maturity covenant, the ministry covenant, and then there's the missions covenant. And that's a commitment to share the good news with others. You will be my witnesses for me to the ends of the earth. Now, why do we have these, commi- these uh, covenants? I'm going to give you a biblical reason. If I don't have a biblical reason, I have no reason to give these covenants. But here it is. We become what we are committed to. Have you ever noticed that? We become what we are committed to. That's why we have those covenants. Because, listen, if you're committed, Lord, to the wrong group of people, have you ever noticed you become like who you run with? Have you ever noticed that you become like what you worship? Show me what you worship and I'll show you what you're going to become. So we become what we're committed to. So that's why we have those covenants because we know that those covenants are going to lead you into becoming like Christ. Now let's look at the TPC structure and we're almost at the end. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, here's how our church is structured. The structure of the church should not be determined by culture, business practices, or even denominational traditions. Amen. The nature of the church determines its structure. So here's the nature of the church. Number one, the church is a fellowship. It's a fellowship. Acts 2.42, they continued steadily learning the teaching of the apostles And joined in the what? Fellowship. So the church is a fellowship. A top priority in a fellowship is harmony and unity. If you don't have harmony and unity, you ain't got a fellowship. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, Paul writes. Because without harmony and unity, I say again, there is no fellowship. Romans 14, 19, let us concentrate on the things that make for harmony and growth of our fellowship together. Any attitude that causes disunity is sin. Now, here's the implication. A good structure promotes unity and downplays differences. A good structure promotes unity and downplays differences. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, often your meetings do more harm than good because I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you. Well, that ought not be because a good structure promotes unity and downplays the differences people have. Okay? Second, the church is a family. Not just a fellowship, it's a family. 1 Peter 3.8, you should be like one big happy family. Have sympathy, not MM, that's a mistake. Have is what it should say. Have sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. 
So notice, we're a family. We're supposed to be a big, happy family. Amen? Amen. Now, in light of this, we operate on the basis of relationship, not rules. Now, let me show you how this plays out in a very interesting verse, 1 Timothy 5.1. Listen to all the family relational names listed in this, these two verses. Don't reprimand a senior member of the church. Appeal to him as a father. Treat the young men as brothers. The older women as mothers. Treat the younger women as sisters. I only advise don't call a woman mother. Say sister. If she's 85, say sister. But I, but I want you to see here that he's using family relational names. So we operate on the basis of relationship, not rules. Now, third, the church is a body. We're a fellowship, we're a family, and it's a body. And you know all that. How can the eye say to the ear, I have no need of you? How can the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you? We all need one another. We are a body, not a business. Can I, will you say that with me? We're a body, not a business. We're a body, not a business. We're an organism, not an organization. But we're a living, breathing organism, not an organization. Therefore, we function on the basis of gifts, not offices. It's a common thing, and I'm not shooting at anybody in denominations here. I, I owe my salvation to a Baptist preacher. I love the Baptist folks. But, but there is, in denominations particularly, there is a habit of um, voting somebody into an office in the church, like head deacon or elder or whatever, based on their financial status or their popularity or their longevity in the church. And that should never be. You only appoint somebody to an office who has the gift. Who has the gift. So we function on the basis of gifts, not elected. You might want to put elected offices. Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We each have different gifts according to the grace given us. So in an organization, maintenance is the focus. But in an organism, ministry is the focus. At Turning Point Church, we have a simple structure so we can maximize ministry and minimize maintenance. Every Tuesday, we have a staff meeting. Every Tuesday. And the purpose of that staff meeting is to get all the business out of the way so that we can focus on ministry. Because ministry is what we're about. All right? God gave somebody pastors and teachers to prepare God's people works of ministry for works of ministry so the body of Christ may be built up. So our structure is that the people are the ministers and the pastors are the administers. Let that sink in. The people are the ministers. The pastors are the administers. We oversee the work of ministry, but folks, all of you are gifted to do ministry. All right? 
This is good stuff, isn't it? So the church is a fellowship, the church is a family, the church is a body, and fourth, the church is a flock. Jesus' favorite description of the church was flock. Little flock, it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, so on and so forth. Therefore, it is cared for and led by shepherds. Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you really love me? He said, yes, Lord. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. You're a shepherd, Peter. Now, three different terms are used in the New Testament to refer to the same church leaders. Here they are quickly, a little bit of Greek for you. Poimen is one Greek word and means pastor or shepherd. Poimen is pastor or shepherd. Presbyteros, what denomination do we get from that Greek word? You got it. That means elder. And then episkopos, what denomination? Yeah, and that means bishop. But see, here's the deal. Pastor, elder, and bishop are the same thing. Let me show you two verses quickly, and then we're done for the night. To the elders, I say, be shepherds. Notice, every one of the words I just showed you are in this one verse. To the elders, there's presbyteros, I say, be shepherds, there's poimen, of God's flock, serving as episkopos, bishop, overseers. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders, presbyteros, of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, guard yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you, episkopos, overseers. Be poimen, pastors of the church of God. So if you're a pastor, you're an elder. If you're an elder, you're a bishop, it doesn't matter. We have churches, the pastor isn't called pastor, he's called bishop. We have other churches where you're not called a pastor, you're called an elder. Head, head elder, chief elder. Here we're called pastor, Pastor Jeff. Okay? That's it for tonight. Now, the review is for you to review. I double dog dare you to do it. Go home and do this. Fill in the blanks. And next week, oh, it gets so good next week, because next week we're talking about maturity, how to grow up spiritually, and how to get habits that change your life. It's great. So next week we're going there. Let's stand together. Everybody, are you glad you came to church tonight? Amen. How many of you understand a little bit better why we're here? Amen. (laughs) I just lost my heel of my boot. All right. It just came right off. I looked down and said, what is that? It's my heel. And they were looking at it too, like, "Uh uh-oh. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your blessing. We thank you for the power of God and the blessing of God and the peace of God. And, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to walk in wisdom, knowing not only how to do church, but why we're doing church, why we're here. Lord, thank you for revelation from God. Now let's just worship him with one chorus. Lift up.